Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. All right, welcome to this week's episode. We're here at the AES office in Houston in our studio, aka my office, with Mr. Matt Offenbacher. Matt, how's it going today? It's going all right. How are you today, Justin? Pretty good. Uh, a little different. We're recording on a Monday, just kicking the week off right, so that's exciting. Uh, so today I want to talk a little bit about lubricants and how to properly apply them to our drilling operations. But before we get going, I want to take a quick minute to ask the listeners for a favor. If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe and do us a huge favor and take a few minutes to leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to. Any feedback is welcome and appreciated, good or bad. Anyway, Matt, so let's let's get on with the lubricant discussion because it's something we often talk about in the drilling fluid world. So why don't we go ahead and just define what lubricants are in the drilling fluid world? So, I mean, a lubricant is intended to reduce friction. So in this case, think about pipe rubbing against casing or pipe rubbing against the formation because you're rotating while you're drilling. Um, and all of that friction takes away energy that could be applied at the bit. Um, so there's a lot of interest in how exactly can we um, improve lubricity and get more of that power where it needs to go. Of course. So there's obviously different types of lubricants. We've got liquid lubricants. Um, we've got solid type lubricants. But let's go ahead and dive a little bit deeper into that. So can you describe the different types of lubricants and why we might actually use them versus others? So I think probably the first thing that comes to most people's mind would be like a, a surfactant blend. Um, so these are your typical liquids that come out in, in totes. Uh, generally speaking, a, a surfactant is something that lowers the surface tension between two liquids. Uh, in this case, what a surfactant's doing is it has an affinity for metal in particular. Um, so that metal may be water wet and we oil wet it a little bit and that makes it more lubricious. Um, and that's that's probably most of what people think is is something that you add to the drilling fluid and, and you know keep it at a certain concentration. It offers some lubricity, but there are a couple other things out there we use. Okay, so like such as what? Uh, so I think beads are probably one of the really popular ones when we talk about trying to uh, reduce friction. Um, basically, they can be glass or polymer, uh, and they're designed to handle a pretty high pressure. And when you're circulating these through the fluid, they basically end up acting like little mechanical ball bearings uh, between the pipe and the formation or the pipe and the casing. Uh, the only issue is it's, it's a solid you have to maintain in your system, right? So it, it impacts your fluid properties a little bit, and they'll get separated out at the shakers if you don't have something like a recovery unit to retain them. Right. Yeah, I've used recovery units, and uh, they present some challenges, but ultimately they do a good job for the most part. Uh, with regards to beads, the one application I've used them uh, for is spotting them when running casing and stuff like that. So it's something with my experience, instead of just, you know, continuous injection or additions like you would a liquid lubricant, sort of spotting them uh, is, is somewhat what I've found to be uh, quite advantageous. Um, and there's different types of beads, right? You have glass beads, copolymer. Uh, are there any other ones that come to mind? 
Those are the main ones that that come to mind off the top of my head. I'm sure someone yeah. can chime in if they if they think of something we're missing. Sure. Um, but you're absolutely right. Spotting them in place is is probably most economical way to do it. When you're circulating them, it it can be expensive if you don't have that way to retain them. Right. Uh, one other question I had is is with regards to glass and, and copolymer. They're obviously totally two different materials. Uh, they offer different compressive strength. Is that why you use, you'd, you'd use one versus the other? Or what would be the benefit of other, other than like economics? Because one's more expensive than the other. But To the best of my understanding, and that's pretty limited. Once again, listeners, please chime in if you've got something here. But, um, you know, they're, they're both designed to be very resilient. Um, and I think with respect to retention, um, I, I think the glass ones, obviously, you can recover. They float. I think the the polymer ones tend to disperse more readily. Okay, interesting. Uh, and there's another one that I've actually used quite a bit uh, is graphite, and we use that in other industries to reduce, uh, you know, torque or basically to increase lubricity. But uh, what kind of is? Can you describe what graphite? I mean, the benefit to using that in uh, drilling fluids would be. Well, it'll definitely offer some lubricity if you think about it. Graphite's slick, right? It's used in lubricants and all kinds of industrial applications. Uh, it's one of those where you kind of have to maintain it because it's not going to carry in the background. Um, and and so, uh, and by that, I mean, it's not just going to stick to the metal and stay there. Right. So continuous additions is typically what you, I know for myself, again, being on the rig with my experiences, just adding them in sweeps. Uh, a lot of times folks, especially directional drillers, they seem to see the bang for the buck using it in sweeps. But um, again, you could probably use it as a continuous addition, but most of the time the, that graphite will screen out, won't it? Depending on your screen size. It depends on the size. Obviously some of the finer stuff will stay in the system. Uh, there's some deliberation as to how resilient it needs to be. Um, that, that kind of thing, but it offers a little bit. It's not going to turn the world upside down on the lubricity side of things. But if, if you're drilling, you know, cheap water-based mud wells, it, it's certainly worth throwing in. You know, similarly, nut plug is one that we talk about every once in a while. Mm-hmm. And nut plugs as simple as, you know, it could be offering a, a cheap, you know, drill bead effect, but it also may just be clearing the bit of something that's kind of gumming things up and lowering your ROP. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So how do we go about actually picking the right ones? So there's actually a pretty elaborate process that we go to select or at least uh, determine good candidates for high-performing lubricants. The big issue that I see, I mean, I think you've experienced this too, right? You're out on the rig and directional says they're having problems. Can you put anything in the mud? And so we start adding lubricant and before it even gets outside the drill pipe, everybody's high-fiving you like you fixed the problem. And we all look at each other and we don't know what happened, but it wasn't us. But do you really want to correct everybody who's giving you all this credit all of a sudden? Um, <laughs> right. But there, there are a lot of things, and, and I think that's part of the frustration is we'll throw that in and see if it works. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a lot of testing up front because we want to make sure that particularly these surfactants uh, aren't going to create adverse effects on the mud itself or create more problems. And there's certainly a possibility of that. Sure. Like what kind of problems would you run into? Probably the most common or, or the most frustrating is, is cheesing and greasing. Mm. Um, and Anybody out there who's seen cheesing and greasing, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But cheesing is exactly as it sounds. The mud actually thickens up and you have this 
this uh, phase separation where you have this clumping material fall out and then a liquid phase separate out on the top. Um, and grease normally may, may happen at the same time, and it's kind of a, a thickening effect as well. But it, it totally compromises the mud properties. The, the mud starts to fall apart. Um, and so it's something we're very cautious of, and we prefer to test those first in the lab. We try and induce it and see if we can create that effect. Um, and then uh, if it survives that, we'll look at other things. Sure. So with regards to properties, what about beads and graphite? Will you see uh, a change in properties when adding those? Well, you can just by the fact that you're adding solids. Uh, and in particular, it's frustrating to try and measure rheology when you've got beads in there, right? right? Um, they kind of get between the bob and the sleeve and, and make things bounce around. Uh, for the most part, it doesn't mean you can't maintain mud properties. It's just they're a little more difficult to measure. Um, but at least you know that beads are inert. You know, they're not going to interact with anything chemically in the fluid. Makes sense. So how do you actually test for performance? You mentioned doing testing beforehand to select the right type of lubricant to add. What are you looking for? And how do we do that? So if we've tested for cheesing and greasing, we've also tested to make sure that there's no catastrophic effect on the rheology. We'll go and we have a couple of testers in our lab. There, now, there's a number of other ones out there, um, but we start with probably the most common one, which is the, the EP or extreme pressure. Uh, it's a very basic tester that you've probably seen in most drilling fluids labs. It's you put the, the mud with the lubricant added into a cup and there's a, a, a ring that rotates and you apply torque through, through a torque wrench that's got a block on it. And you're, you're basically measuring the amperage or the, the amount of energy it requires to rotate. Um, and you get a reading. You compare that to a coefficient of water and you say, I get this percent reduction. Um, we also like to refer to that tester as the random number generator. Um, <laughs> right. My experience is I like to have that machine calibrated and warmed up and test everything I can on the same run if I want to compare them mm. just because it can be all over the place. Um, but for an initial screening tool, we try and get some information out of that. And then we may scale up if, if things still look good. We want to correlate it once more. And so we use a tester called the Lubricity Evaluation Monitor. And what I like about the LEM, as we call it, is you actually circulate the fluid. So you're circulating the fluid between a big metal bob and a block. And the block, you can put sandstone in there. You can put an actual sample of casing. Um, so you can get some good readings out of that. Um, and it's pretty easy to adjust the concentration of lubricant to find the, the right amount where the contribution sort of stops. You stop seeing that reduction. Um, and those two are our testers we use. There are considerably more expensive and complex testers, but for an initial screening, that seems to make sense. Other things you could include would be temperature and pressure and, and that sort of thing. But then each run costs considerably more. And we typically have chemistry families in the dozens to test at any given time. Sure. So <clears throat> fast forward, you do all the testing, you identify which one is the best for the application. Uh, when you get it to the rig, how do you typically apply these lubricants? So a lot of them, specifically when we're talking about surfactants, as we mentioned, well, we can just add it into the circulating system. Um, I recommend adding about a half a percent by volume up until you stop seeing a, re a reduction. For whatever reason, most of them cap out at about 3% by volume. And after that, you don't get much 
more benefit. So more is not always better. No. And in fact, more can be considerably worse in some cases. Some of these lubricants, you, you check, hopefully they catch it in the product bulletin or something. You may get up to 6 or 8%. It can really wreak havoc on the system and do just fine at a lower concentration. Um, I would also add that, uh, you know, it may be like you've mentioned before, we may be spotting a high concentration pill on the way out just to help with our casing run. And then I'm not circulating and I could probably go higher than a standard recommended volume. Um, and then we've talked about beads, graphite, we can pump those in sweeps. Uh, although ultimately I don't need just one spot where I need lubricity. It's, right. It's typically all the points of contact. And so you, you eventually like to get to something that you're maintaining in the system so you get good coverage. That makes sense. So, you know, we all know when we can't steer, you know, that all we need to do is add some lube and see the value. But how do we actually quantify the value of adding lubricant on a rig? You know, you, like you see, you mentioned doing testing in the lab and you can look at the dials and, and see the reduction. But on the rig, how do we actually know whether or not it's working? I think, you know, one of the best things you can do is, is keep an eye on the torque. Um, see what changes before and after. Um, so all the readings you're getting off of, off of the rig, if we can capture those, especially when we're comparing before and after and what concentration, um, and we can also back calculate the friction factor before and after and, and really get a good idea of, of what the benefit is. Um, and, you know, the, one of the things that we see is, you know, sometimes these things help extend pipe life, enhance your rate of penetration. They do small, nice things. And then there's the part where someone says, hey, um, I want to drill with water-based mud and it's going to be a three-mile lateral. Can I do it? And the question is, is this lubricant on its own going to save you? And I'm a little reluctant to, you know, wave the flag and say, absolutely, make drill your plan your drilling all around the performance of this chemical <laughs> under the conditions you're about to give it. Yeah, yeah, no, certainly. And the more you can uh, key in on and certain, you know, pick up slack off, on bottom, off bottom torque, those are all things, you know, as mud engineers, a lot of times we, we don't key in on just because we're so busy. But uh, the more understanding you have of, of those uh, sort of those metrics, the better you can sort of adjust your, your plan of action. <clears throat> so one of the questions, uh, you know, that we've all been waiting for, and it's something that I've been asked several times in my career is, is there really such a thing as old base mud lubricant? Kinda. <laughs> okay. Um, it's, a, it's a very qualified kinda. Um, so what we see is that if you think about it, we talked about how surfactants can do this great oil wetting element. Uh, well, oil-based muds are also pretty good at oil wetting. Um, and so what we've seen, at least with everything we've looked at, and, and this is something, if you're a service company, you've looked at this and you would really love to be able to sell a customer something that works. What we find is they work for a very, not a very, but a somewhat brief period of time. Um, and then they kind of go into solution with all the other similar chemistry that you have in oil-based mud. So you might see an initial effect, uh, and then it seems to decline. Um, and so that's sort of the, the holy grail is can we find something that offers enduring performance to justify the cost? Um, and it's a venture well worth considering, but every time I've been promised from someone that they've got something and I, we rush to check it, we find that 
it pretty much kind of does the same thing. It, it looks great in a lab and then you contaminate it with solids and, you know, hot roll it for a while and it, it, the performance effect sort of fades. That makes sense. So well, I know a lot of folks, like I said, customers, especially ask for it. Um, I would imagine at some point down the line, there'll be some unique chemistry coming, but, uh, no, definitely appreciate the feedback. Cause that's something I get asked on a, on a regular basis. Um, before we close up, I'd like to touch on some of the misconceptions of lubricants. So would you mind describing them? Cause I know a lot of people, they've heard from people or different money engineers or different folks in the industry. I feel like there's a lot of misunderstandings or misconceptions. So let's touch on those, Matt. What, what, what are some of the ones that you've come across? I mean, I think most of the time what we see is just fairly outlandish claims. You know, this is going to reduce your torque by 50%. Um, this is going to do X, Y, and Z. And um, not to say it can't, but I think we see a lot of, in the lab, they always look really, really good. And the real test is to put it on a rig and get those numbers and see some real performance. Um, because lab muds, and some of these other circumstances in a lab pretty much don't account for a lot of your conditions. Um, so I think that's one. I think just, um, I, I think tied into that, oh, yeah, this will work in everything, you name it. I think mo- some of the most effective chemistry, some of it's designed to work in high chlorides environment. Some of it's designed to work in fresh water. Um, there are reasons you can gain better performance by mixing up your your products um and so everybody wants to say they've got the silver bullet because these products tend to be very profitable um and the feedback loop is poor so it's questionable if they worked as well as claimed right but um so so it's not really test it out and and prove it and get some offset data um so i i think that's another part but there's there's always the rig next door saying that they have something that works 100% better. Um, and then, of course, you have to try it. And then, of course, you find out it doesn't do anything that was promised. Yeah. You know, so there's a, there's a lot of, of misunderstanding in this space. Sure. A lot. What are, your, uh, what are your thoughts? And this is something I've come across uh, when people out there tout ROP enhancing lubricants versus, you know, EP lubricants versus uh you know metal on metal or metal on rock is there actually a huge difference in chemistry when it comes to that or or is that more of a marketing strategy so it's it's a difference in chemistry um and rop enhancing surfactants are a thing um once again i think that all comes down to execution so when you think of the definition of high performance water-based mud which high performance water-based mud would be a great episode in the future right um what they are is an encapsulating polymer, typically an amine shale inhibitor, and an ROP enhancing surfactant. And the idea of that surfactant is, at least as far as it's understood, is, is really to help clear material away from the bit so that it's cutting new rock. Um, so it's designed to do that. It, a side effect is it, it can enhance lubricity a little bit, but um, it's one of the, like, one of the three legs, one of the key legs of, of uh, high-performance water-based mud. And so, yes, you could throw that in on its own into a water-based mud that doesn't necessarily need the inhibition. And it might help, but it, it might not make as much of a difference as it would in a high-performance water-based mud, assuming you actually needed the inhibition and you were tr- really trying to clear the bit. 
Okay. No, that makes sense. Thanks for clearing that up. <clears throat> well, that's all I had for questions. Matt, is there anything else you want the listeners to know about with regards to lubricants before we sign out? I mean, I think th- there's a lot of them out there. I would say just don't take everything at face value and, and really, you know, make sure the upfront work has been done to avoid a train wreck and then evaluate it um, and see if it works. But it is true. It's really difficult to simulate in the lab. We just have really promising things that we have to, we have to test. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Well, look, if you have any drilling, flu- uh, drilling fluid related questions, or if you wanted to uh, touch on some of the things we, we mentioned here in our episode regarding lubricants, please send them to flowlinepodcast at aesfluids.com. We'll also put this link in the show notes. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flowline. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.